Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Back to the Larkcast. Cheers, Russ. How you doing? Good to see you. Cheers. You got water in that whiskey glass? Yeah, dude. I'm. I've become a fan of an inch of water in the bottom of a glass. <laughs> it's like you're. Uh, it's like you're practicing for three thirty. You know, five o'clock. Yeah. It's like yeah, like. Pretty soon, this is going to be brown water in here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm just uh, just just practicing, man. Practicing with a little tequila. Oh, nice. <laughs> Isn't that how comedy works, though, right? Like, you always take it, like, the opposite direction of where you think it's going. I've kind of noticed that, man, like, listening to, to comics for the last... 43 years of my life. You listened to comics when you were one years old? I did. I did. I was. Oh, dude, that's, that's impressive. It is, man. It's, uh, some people did nursery rhymes. Me, I just. <laughs> wow, dude, you're advanced. Some kids are walking around singing, Mary Mary had a little lamb. And some of us were walking around reciting Richard Pryor. <laughs> so, you you were studying comedy theory. I was at the I ripe was. age of at the ripe age of six months. Yeah, people who knew me when I was a kid, they're always like, "Hey, dude, out of curiosity, like, how did you get the name Howie?" Because I mean, I've got yearbooks, bro. Like in middle school and early high school, where my name literally in the yearbook is Howie Howie Johnson, and. uh did you have oh, like I'm a sure. little afro or what like what did you have going on? No, I wish. Well, my older brother, man, he's a comedian and and uh he definitely could have made a killing out if he was stuck with it. Uh but he just watching, you know, comedy acts with him, man, from like a small age. I had dude, I had Eddie Murphy Raw like memorized as 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 a, as a little kid, which you know isn't good, by the way. Um it was funny though, I will say that. So, fi- fine print. Not good. Print. Probably and, uh, landed you in the principal's office a couple of times. Oh, for sure. But I could do like the whole stand-up Howie Mandel back in the day. Howie Mandel was a comedian, you know, before he was ever like a you know a news show like or a TV show host. Yeah, America and, was um, America's Got Talent. Yeah, dude. Like long before all that, man, he was a stand-up comic, and I could do like his whole his whole deal, dude. When I was like <laughs> third grade. <laughs> And so he started calling me Howie and it was just like this nickname. So anyways. So you're always a comedian. They're always cracking funnies. Not that I'm good at it, but yeah, I, uh, I do my best. I need an audience. Nice. That's what I found. You gotta have you're that. Good, audience, you're good bro. at an audience. I give I me an audience. Wit- it's like, I have witnessed that. <laughs> That's where it turns on. Um, and if not, then I guess I'm pretty boring. For all of you who, you know, listen to the podcast, you experience Russ Johnson, who is hell bent on getting his point across. But if you get him in, if you get him in an audience, 
yeah, he, he can work it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, but it is a true it's a thing. Good, it's a good thing. If I got good something thing. to say, like I, I got to get it out, bro. <laughs> I remember getting in so much trouble as a kid. Like, if you say it one more word, I'm like, well, here we go. <laughs> here, we, here we go. So the here big issue I got going on at my house right now is um, all this Halloween candy, bro. Mm. And I know you just have, like, little Eli. And, um, you know, I'm sure he had – he's probably hasn't – he probably hasn't graduated to a pillow, pillow case um, – candy bag just yet right he's probably got like a little little bit of a smaller kind of a like pumpkin bag. Put, yeah he's got a smaller bag yeah. um yeah all my kids uh you know they're just like right into like pillowcase get as much candy as you can and you know they're like you're holding this thing and you're like i think this might be 12 pounds of candy right here and um man in the, you get in your, the past uh, you get your candy tax that's what, that's really that's what all the dads do. It's really not a candy tax. I just eat from it all like everybody else, and that's the problem. So I find myself just, you know, sitting down with the kids, and we're just like, you know, watching the Bulls game or whatever. Next thing you know, there's, there's like 60 wrappers of Sour Patch Kids and Skittles <laughs> and everything just laying on the floor. And like, dude, before, before all this happened, um, I was just like, all right, man, like, I'm just going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to do good. Like, I'm just going to really like not try to like, eat a bunch of candy, dude. I didn't last like an hour, bro. Mm. The good, the good I want to do, dude, I just, I don't do it. And the bad I want to avoid, I just, I do it. Dude. I was going to say. Never like, has Roman seven been so real to me than this week i guess i'll just say that yeah like all of a sudden these things that are written in the scriptures of old become extremely relevant to our modern day as i sit here on my floor ashamed and crying in a pile of candy wrappers yeah knowing that what i know to do i don't do yeah which i think is a good I think it's a good segue into this conversation because I think a lot of the questions we get in light of grace are people who are really, really, really concerned and really working hard to try to make that whole bit that Paul has in Romans seven, that whole dilemma, like mm-hmm. to try to make it go away or they're trying to limit it or try to like, you know, eradicate it or manage it. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. they want that, they want that transformation. They want to be, they want something other than the frustration of that. Yeah, man. I was just, just yesterday, dude, I was in a conversation with a, with a leader within the church world who's concerned about another leader of a church plant um, in regards to like his lax nature on the push for transformation and change and you know, mm. the very thing you're talking about. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, man, like what I've learned over the years with myself and with the people around me is we constantly drag business ideas and business principles into the church as if like the church is a business. 
Um, and just to be clear, like business is a good thing and making money is a good thing because you can like actually pay your bills and provide for your family and eat and live indoors. And I mean, I don't a know few you, tabs but, while you're travel, right? Like these are, these are good things. Uh, and so, you know, business at its core is really simple. Find a need and fulfill it really well. That's business. And if your ability to scale that is how you grow it, it's not complicated. Um, and just so again, just to be clear, like that's a good thing, but I find that we constantly drag that into the world of church. Like the church is this business that needs to grow and sustain itself financially. And, and so nickels and noses become the measure of everything. Well, if you want to yeah. obtain and maintain more nickels and noses, then you need something that's pretty neat and tidy, not messy. You need something that doesn't create tension or escalate tension. It diffuses tension. Mm-hmm. And of course, like with Jesus, we find the T total opposite. Mm-hmm. He brings tension. He escalates tension in situations. His crowd shrinks as he goes. It doesn't, it doesn't get larger. Um, but I'm just kind of learning, like there's like the business thing within the world of church, but then there's also like this, when it comes to like personal, like holiness and change and transformation that all of us are obsessed with that's where we sort of drag in like the whole conditional promise nature of humanity, right? Like what we learn in the sports world. If I, if I, if I practice hard, then I get the position right on the team. If I work hard, I get a promotion. If I try really hard with this girl, well, then she'll like me or, or, you know, or if it's with this guy or, you know, um, and so we're constantly like, we, it's like we drag business into the church and then we drag, the nature of conditional promises into our relationship with Jesus and how God sees us and what he's going to do in and through our lives. Yeah. And in the midst of that, right. You have a God who's saying, yeah, those things work for business. Um, Working hard might land you a job on the team or showing up to work on time might mean you keep your job. Hey, by the way, that's all good. But just so we're clear, that has nothing to do with how I see you. It has nothing to do with the purpose for which you exist. And um, it has nothing to do in regards to your standing before me. But I just feel like as much as we see that throughout the scripture, there is this thing in us, dude, that just will not, will not just, uh, just let go, man. We just won't like, we won't free fall into that grace the way Jesus did. No, we, yeah, it won't, it won't stop. Um it's, you know, it's called the old Adam, the old Adam and Eve. And mm. like Paul said, just before he gets into that internal dilemma passage in Romans seven, like it needs to be crucified. It needs to die. And the only yeah. thing that can kill it, the only thing that can kill the old Adam, which is obsessed with doing it's obsessed with control is to give it the announcement that it is finished. Because Jesus leaves nothing for the old Adam and Eve to do. Nothing. Mm. It, it completely removes all of its doing. Yeah. And it's just, it's sit there. And so like in light of the announcement of salvation by grace alone, it scrambles, it freaks out. It starts to just like shake and jitter and, and but, 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 what about this? What about this? What about that? That's what it does. It yeah. freaks out and it's meant to scare you to death. It's meant to scare the old Adam 
to death. Mm. That's the point. It's the whole point is to bring you to your death, to realize there's nothing left for you to do in light of the announcement. It is finished. And I know we got into it a ton last episode, crisis of capacity. We constantly want to drag Jesus' words into the realm of possibility, or at least act as if we're these independent agents that can grab hold of these commands and kind of like make them happen on our own. But the number one thing that God is trying to do is he's trying to scare you unto your death. He's trying to mortify your old Adam. He wants to kill it. Cause here's the deal, dude. We like, we, I love how we talk about the scene in the garden and um, it's, it's so true. Like, and I've heard Jameson was talking a ton about this over the, the last leg of the Lark tour. We've talked about it a ton on this podcast. It's like, if eating of the, if eating of the fruit was the thing, like just that disobedient act, well then, okay. Then maybe we might think of ourselves as like God's work moving forward is to like, help us make better choices, which is like the theme of my kids. Grade school, by the way, is make better choices. You even hear like some moms as they're leaving for school, like every day they're like, make better choices. <laughs> I just like, I have this like laugh to myself every time I hear that. <laughs> Dude, I'm just going to be straight honest for just a moment. I, I, I just got to go there. Mini Russ 1983 is literally turning around and going, mom, I can't. <laughs> I've been trying every day to make better decisions damn it i just can't do it (laughs) but no nowhere in society will give you the freedom and the space man to just be real and honest about that make better sources sounds great until you come to the realization that you're not able to man yeah and i think it's in it's in finally coming to grips with that is the only thing that can free us to be honest because Adam and Eve, I don't want to lose my spot, but Adam and Eve in the garden, um, they, they fell out of trust in God. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I love what God does in the person and finished work of Jesus. Faith mm. is what Adam and Eve lost grace by removing doing gets us back to trusting because it's the only thing left to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to just go ahead and say like, when, when you see what you're, what you're declaring right now about the garden and how everything stems from that all the way into the present of the coming of the Messiah and what he came to do and what he accomplished and right life and light of that reality. It's, it's, it is neat, man, to pull back and go, dude, Jesus showed us what it looks like to free fall into the father's acceptance for 33 years for 33 years he literally like free fell man like in freedom by faith trusting the father's acceptance all the way to the point of his death because the issue in the garden is not disobedience therefore better decisions is a solution no the issue in the garden is distrust and the solution is literally like the, it created a disease in us. So the only solution is a life of trust, a life of dependence. Yeah. Jesus fulfilled the law 
by trusting the law that we can't, he fulfilled that by trusting God, not toiling for God. Right. So if follow Jesus is your thing and imitate Jesus is like what we need to be doing. And that's all about like, and we, and we turn that into somehow like coercing our flesh into this thing that looks and says, and does all the right things. We miss the fact that no following Jesus to imitate Jesus is therefore a life of trusting the acceptance of the father. Yeah. Yeah. So we just got done with, you know, we're past Halloween reformation day, which a lot of people, you know, yeah. call it or refer to that. And there was a quote from Luther that was thrown around and, and, and on social media. And I think it's exactly what you're saying. He said, the law says do this and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this and everything is done. The law is fulfilled in Christ. He did it all, everything. Yeah. And by faith, we find ourselves united and immersed in him. Meaning now his life counts for ours. His righteousness now counts for ours. His rule keeping now counts for ours. His death is now ours. His resurrection is now ours. His ongoing life yeah, and how he works out his life in and through us, Galatians 2, is now ours. And literally the call is to just die and trust. And sometimes, dude, I'm going to tell you, it seems impossible and this is why the mm. old Adam starts going into convulsion, like, you know what I'm saying? Like freak out mode, because it will do anything but give up doing or thinking that it brings something to the table. Yeah. Which I think is like off that point, man, like what you're saying in regards to the, you know, the old nature, this, the sin of self-reliance running in our veins, we got to bring something to the table. We can do this. We need to do this. Like we can't let go of that myth because of this just obsession that we have with control, which I think is why we have an obsession with transformation. Right. And therefore we have all the expectations of transformation. And as we talked about in the last podcast, and out of that comes a perversion of what transformation actually is. Um, I think you're right, man. It, it does come down to our unwillingness to, to trust our unwillingness to, to let go. Um, well, I think too, like just being a sinner is frustrating. Yeah. Having limitations is frustrating. Hurting the people around me that I really, really care for and finding myself in conversations where I'm forced to deal with the weight and the reality of my selfish actions and how that affected my kids, my wife, the people I work with, that is, it's frustrating. Like, yeah. dude, if I could, you know what I'm saying? If there was something I could do to like remove that awkwardness, the consequences of my own folly, the alienation that comes from me being, you know, just broken in real time, mm -hmm. dude, that would be, that would be great. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we're back in Romans seven. Who will set me free from the body of this death? <laughs> right. This thing in me that's constantly eating mounds of candy. <laughs> when I know, put down the damn candy. How many Reese's Cubs can a man eat in one? And evening? when confronted with the amount of candy I've eaten, I will justify and I will minimize and I will, I will try to take that thing and make it out to be something not as bad as what it really is, even though the evidence is laying all over the floor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, you know, it's that, it's that idea, dude, that 
in our ear, man, is that constant whisper of uh, you are not enough. And in the other ear is this constant whisper of, but the grass is greener over there on the other side of the hill. Yeah. Right. And so life is just like this constant battle of these two endless lies. Why can't I look at the pile of candy wrappers around me and be like, yeah, um, this was fun and all this candy was great. And no matter how much of it I've eaten here, Jesus still loves me and I'm still the righteousness of God because the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the cross, the mystery of Jesus's death and resurrection for my own is as second Corinthians five says, we have literally been made the righteousness of God because we've been brought into him who is the righteousness of God. His name's Jesus. Right. So no matter how much candy I've eaten, I'm still loved. Mm-hmm. However, however, to keep eating candy like this, probably not going to go well. Yeah. Right. There's a, there's a, there's a myriad of effects that come from this. And I don't think we at, within Lark are minimizing the effects or by any means saying like, yeah, go do dumb things that hurt you and hurt others. Nor do we see Jesus saying this. I think what Jesus is constantly showing us is one He's always creating this crisis of capacity in his teachings, which we talked about last on the last episode, that's bringing us to the end of our virtuous rope, helping us see what the law actually demands in your complete inability to meet this. Mm-hmm. And then through his death, he shows us that, hey, you getting it together is not the life that I've given you. You walking in what's good and not eating candy forever is going to be good for you, by the way but I didn't come and I didn't create you to not eat candy all the time. I didn't give my life so that you could somehow not have to eat candy all the time. Right? Like, no, like the, the beauty of life, like life, the essence of it itself is this journey of trust with the one that's made you. That's what I've brought you into. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where we, this fear of I'm not enough. I got to make it happen. You know what I mean? Like if you're in, in some church settings, it's all about like the personal holiness, right? The better self in some church settings. It's like, no man, like, you know, that's, that's not a big deal. It's all about a better society and loving God and loving your neighbor. Right. And you know, it's, you just kind of end in this, like you live in this endless, endless freaking to-do list, bro. It's just constantly being thrown at you and t- telling you, that you only are enough by how well you perform in this. Yeah. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And we're going, damn it. No, it's not. Hmm. It's not. And it's, it's dude, it's hard. It's hard to make sense of that. Like it, it's hard to try to convince someone because like in the last episode, we talked about like Christianity's gotten this knack for like morality and action or we think of like religion is like just equates to, to good. And then, yeah. you know, we're over here saying like, no, we need to be saved from our good works and our bad works, the tricky nature of doing good. And he just knows something about the human heart, because if we just say like, Hey man, this is just about like, Hey, don't be the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son, be like the older brother. Um, if you let good works go unchecked, well then, Somewhere along the way, um, we're going to think somehow that these good works point to our goodness Mm. and we're going to start to take credit for them. And we're going to start to think like, man, I'm pretty awesome. And eventually we're going to start to convince ourselves that not only do I not need God, I must be God myself because I'm crushing this. Yeah. 
So you could see again, Adam and Eve lost faith in the garden. Life is found in life himself, not your own ability to get it together by removing the doing in it is finished and salvation by grace alone. It brings us back to trust, but everybody wants to walk in that newness of life that Paul's talking about in Romans six. We all want it. We all want it. We all Mm -hmm. want to walk in the reality of his resurrection. But as I've said before, we all want resurrection before death, right? We want resurrection, the reality of resurrection without death. We want to do good works. We want to do good works for neighbor. We want to remove the insanity of Romans seven, the frustration of our brokenness, right? These good works without calculation or claim, like without planning it or pronouncing it or posting about it. Right. Mm. Um, And that can only happen when the old man is put to death. It can only happen when the obsession with doing good dies. Newness of life, like the kind that Paul talks about in Romans 6, happens after the old man is crucified. It comes after the death of the old man. And so you hear a lot of people talk about all-consuming, anxious efforts to bear fruit, be transformed, change, grow in sanctification and holiness, as if it were something to attain to and grab hold of through scheme and through effort, something to be attained, almost like an X marks the spot. Almost as if there's a finish line. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. something we're moving toward. Newness of life is a starting line. It's a beginning point, not a finish line. In fact, it's only after we realize that Jesus reached the finish line on our behalf. It is finished. Can this newness begin? Newness is about beginning after we experience death, not finishing, not congratulations. So be careful that this alleged change, holiness, sanctification, transformation, if it's something you're pursuing and working hard at, but something that just happens and appears in the wake of our deaths. And it's a mysterious thing of why God does some things and doesn't do others. Like, why would, like, why would he give Paul the realization in Philippians two, that his resume was a big pile of shit but then not remove this thorn later on. Yeah. Why do I experience the goodness of God and transformation and fruit in some areas, but then I'm left with the constant frustration of battling it and having no victory in other areas. I think what the Lord is, is teaching us is a life of trust. And I think he's doing that in and through how he chooses and we can't see and understand it all. And that's, that's okay. Because and that, just if I'm being clear, man, I think that's where people get stuck in the conversation of grace and all the parables that Jesus taught, and why the question has come: What do I do with all these other things that Jesus said? Okay. In our last episode, we unpacked a few things from like the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus creates this crisis of capacity around what it really means to not be angry, right? Or to I'm sorry, to not murder or to not commit adultery. But he goes further, man. Like we've had people say, well, what about like love God and love others? Is that not the whole heart of Christianity? Is that not what Christianity is about? It's loving God and loving others. Should we not be taking our freedom and all these things and liberty that we've been given to love God and love neighbor? I mean, I was just seeing people like just should all over other people just yesterday about that. And I'm like, hey, when people should all over the place. Oh, man. 
And I get it. I've been there. Oh my gosh. Have I been there so many times? Oh yeah, totally. But I, I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm going, guys, have you read first Corinthians 13 about love? Yeah. Based off how God, the maker of love defines what love is. Do you honestly think you love God? Well, I do. Okay. You just got done telling me a few minutes ago about some things that you're bothered about in your life frustrated about, angry about, going to the Lord about, why is this not taken away from me? Why am I still dealing with this? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, did you, First uh, Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. What? Yeah. And yet here you are with a complete list of all your record, going to the Lord in frustration and anger about it, yet saying, oh, by the way, God, I love you. BS, dude. BS. You don't love. You don't. Yeah. Yep. Love forgives all things. Keep you know, look at all these people that you're so angry about, what they should be doing, and how you're harping on them. What if you just forgave them? Well, if I do that, then right, boom, there it comes again. <laughs> right now, we just jump to another law, and I'm like, you're missing it. You don't love God, and you don't love people. So first Corinthians 13 in, in the definition of what love really is, is just one more instance in which God is literally creates, provokes a crisis of capacity in humanity and showing them that what morality demands, you cannot keep. And thus it is insufficient of what you actually need, which is a savior, not a guide, a life of trusting not a life of toiling. They're yeah. two different things. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a big aha, man. And again, you know, they were like, I don't know, dude, Matthew 28, Jesus said, you know, just make disciples and teach them to observe all that he commanded. He did. As you're going is what that means. Disciple others means tell others, teach others. And what did he say? To observe all that, right? That I commanded. Well, what do you mean observe? To see it, to know it. Yeah, man. Talk to them about what it really means to be holy, just like Jesus did with us in the Sermon on the Mount. And let that beautiful wound take place. Yeah, go go have all the same conversations. Yeah, I've been having. Um, But we take it and turn it into teach them how to fix their flesh, bro, and make it happen, how to get it together in the name of God, what it really means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Again, and I'm like, dude, you mean I'll, a life of trust? No, man. Oh, a life of trying? Yeah. And I'm like, well, bro, that's total opposite yeah. of what Jesus actually reveals. Yeah. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that a life of faith is how well we perform at the Christian life. Correct. Like it's how well we do. And so we'll ask, our, we'll ask ourselves this question. Hey, man, how's your faith? And what we mean by that is how well are you doing at all the Christian stuff? How well are you doing at reading your Bible? How well are you doing at loving your wife? How well are you doing at loving your kids? How well are you doing at your job? How well are you doing at saying no to all this, you know, stuff? What's your, give me your spiritual report card. Yeah. That's, that's what it means. Look, evaluate your life. Take, take account of everything that's going on. Right. And then give me a report card on how you're doing. And then we call it, how's your faith? 
dude, faith looks outside of yourself. It's the very obsession with looking inward. It's the very obsession with looking inward that he's trying to rescue us from. Yeah. Just, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's trying to take our eyes, dude, stop looking at you and others and look to me. That's yeah. where transformation comes from. So really, really quick. Second Corinthians three, 18. Um, I was reminded of this in, in prepping for our, our conversation. It says, and we all with unveiled face unveiled as if like, it, it's kind of like, dang, dude, I, you know, I used to think of Jesus as like, he was just nothing, or he was a good teacher. Or, and I came to realize like who he really was like, holy crap. Like my eyes are open to like God mm-hmm. of the flesh, come down, live, die, rise, right? Like rescue me. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, the, the weight of the Lord, the awesomeness of the Lord, man. Like he's just dope, right? When we see mm-hmm. him for what he's done, we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Where's this come from? Accountability groups, looking inward, spiritual report cards, constant radical introspection. No, Paul says this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. It comes from God himself. As we look at him, not constantly obsess over our freaking report cards. Faith looks outside, bro. Somehow we've just jacked up the lexicon and the words. Yes, that's kind of, I was just, I couldn't help but laugh what you were sharing because I'm like, man, the irony in that, right? Like, hey, man, based off what you can see that you're doing and not doing, how's your faith? Meanwhile, in Hebrews, faith is the assurance of what you cannot see. <laughs> so, so I'm just like, the, the irony of that somehow, how's your faith is determined by what you can see. In regards to what you're doing and not doing, mm-hmm. where the scriptures literally define faith, that's the opposite of that. It's not a life of sight that we've been given. It's a life of faith. Yeah. A life of learning to trust the one who has loved us and been for us long before we ever got here. Yep. That is the life in front of us. And what Jesus has done is come and given us life to pay any debt that was needed, right? To reconcile all things all the things that we've done wrongly and committed against others and all the things that have been wrong and done and committed against us. Scriptures tell us in Colossians one, that through his blood, he literally reconciled everything on earth and on heaven so that we could be brought back into this fellowship that we were made for. And so in his righteous life, we exist. It says that's why we are the righteousness of God. It says, mm-hmm. Right. The life in front of us is a life of trusting, not trying. Mm-hmm. And so the transformation, the, the uh, thinking about things differently than we do, the desiring things that we don't desire right now, the love for things that are good, the pursuit of things that are good. Okay. All that. Amen. That's all for your joy and for the joy of those around you. It's a good thing, right? Like you actually, this is what it means to be human. You actually feel what it means to be alive in these things. Right, this is good, but that's a work that the Lord does in and through us. And how well we are, how well we walk in that right now, or where we are in that journey, or what's happening or not happening, 
has no basis upon the fact that you are the righteousness, literally the holiness of God, because you exist in him who is holy, who is righteous. And I just think that we just, we, we've got to see that man, like transformation, the change of, of thoughts and desires and beliefs and practices and life are good and beautiful, but it's something that happens to us by him as he chooses and don't please for any moment, make that the point of the Christian life. That's the fruit of the Christian life, not the root. Yeah. Okay. And, the, and those yeah. things are, are night and day. And I'm just, I'm just going to say this just to make this clear. Cause I've had people say, I don't know, man. The other day, <clears throat> sorry, dude. <clears throat> Damn. The other day, somebody was saying to me, just their love for the political system right now. And just that it's this need to produce all these various like programs that need to happen and the increase of taxes and more laws to prevent harsh words, or, you know, we need laws that, that produce that literally force, you know, everything, not just, we don't just need to be equal. Like there needs to be equity. You know what I mean? That's another thing that's been, and it was all being discussed at the bar. And I'm listening to it and they're they're going, this is good. This is right. They literally look at me, Russ, this is what it would mean to love God and love others. This is what people should be doing. And this is a way to make that happen. How could you possibly be opposed to it? This is how we get a transformed people in a transformed society. And I'm listening to it going, dude, you know how funny it is, is how quickly you can mirror that to how the church thinks right? Programs that produce, right? What we think are supposed to happen is no different than government doing the same thing. And I always kind of find it humorous how people who are um, all for church programs that force about transformation are anti big government forcing transformation and people who are anti the church (laughs) having programs that force transformation are all okay with the government having programs that force transformation. And meanwhile, I'm looking at it and going, hey, I don't know if you know this, but in Romans, uh, I believe it's in chapter 14, you find the most radical indictment of our human virtue of anywhere in the scriptures. Paul says, for that which does not proceed from faith, referring to in Jesus, okay, for anything that does not come out of faith in Jesus, he says, is sin. Mm -hmm. It is, again, the most radical indictment of our human virtue and all of our yearnings and pushing and processing and programming and planning and managing and mapping transformation. And he the literally reason why refers that, to it as sin, bro. Right. And like the reason the why that things. jacks with us, the reason why that jacks with us is because we think we think good is just good across the board and we don't see right the the ugly Bingo. details underneath it all because yeah. we've so equated God with this idea of like, Oh, God's on the side of good and the devil's on the side of evil. So anything yep. that has an appearance of good must mm-hmm. be in the God bucket. And you're just like, dude, no, read the freaking Bible. You know what I'm saying? It just, yeah. and I don't mean that in a judging way. I, what I mean is just like, if you see this story going back to the beginning, it's about a life of trust yeah my it's like my we'll do the ceo of my company man he's not a murderer and he's not an adulterer and i'm like uh, according to jesus he's both 
according to what's actually true about not murdering and not being an adulterer in the scriptures by the God who made us, okay, and gets therefore to declare these things. He's actually both. Well, but he hasn't physically, ah, see, again, so I'm just saying like, that's another example of how we think all these things because we're, we don't outwardly do them or if we're forced to not do them or we're forced to do them. Well, therefore this must be good. Uh, some, someone's, you know, somebody struggles with a pornography addiction. So they have a block on like every computer in their house. And then they board, you know, then they put like a block on the actual internet system in their house. And then they meet with a person every single day who's an accountability group. Just to be clear, all those things are good. We're not saying like, this is a bad thing as much as I'm saying, what we'll do is we'll hold that up and go, see, man, they're, they're transformed. And it's like, uh, no, no. And of course, you could take that into other no, areas. It's actually their lust has been put on house arrest. It's got an ankle bracelet and it's not allowed to do anything. Yeah. So again, like when you go to that Romans passage, what he's saying is that what we're oftentimes holding up and counting as good and transformed. Okay. It's not just unhealthy. He literally says it's sin. It is yeah. sin. What you're counting, he's saying, is counterfeit change. And like, so like counterfeit money it's not worth anything, which means it has no value at all. AKA transformation is your Lord. You have a relationship with morality, not, not Jesus. And what you don't even realize is your relationship with morality is a false morality. So it's corrupt from the very get go from the foundation up. Dude, that's like, okay, okay. I'm starting to see now like what transformation is and what it's not. And I think like the, probably the last question around this, which was a million, but probably the big bucket around it now is like, okay, so, so then how does transformation happen? You know, cause if you're not careful, you could find yourself in this conversation going like, well, like, do I just not do anything? You know what I mean? Do I, I mean, I felt like helping my neighbor with his car the other day, but then I was sitting out there wondering like, well, is this from faith? Is it not? Is this real change? You know what I mean? Is it not? Can I do this? Am I just doing this because I'm religious and I don't trust Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying like, you, there's a danger to that, to which case well, I just want to say to everybody like, dude, you're, you're free to help your neighbor, man, period. Well, it's a, until that whole like inward arguing dies because the one who's actually been set free it's not a conversation bingo it's just there is no because we've just locked in on the fact that it's done yeah and now i'm actually free to follow along with the god who i dwell in and he dwells in me and the good works that go unplanned and unpronounced. Yeah. I'm free to just love. Yeah. Just, so if you find yourself loving. with this like internal wrestling and struggling, like, and it's like all consuming. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Like, dude, that is the old man. Just like not wanting to accept the terms. It is finished and there's nothing left for him to do. And so that death right? It's like, it's very, very similar to Nicodemus. When he comes to Jesus at night, he goes, actually, Nicodemus, like what you need is you need to be born again. 
Like this, all, all this questioning, all this wrestling, like you need to die. You need to experience death. You need a new starting line. Right. Yeah. And then he even turns that into a work. Like, well, what the heck? Am I just going to like crawl back into my mother's womb? You know, like, how's this all, how's this yeah. all work? And I think he's just trying to get our eyes off of ourselves. All that radical introspection, all that inner dialogue, all that anxiety, all that stuff, that passage I read in second Corinthians three, we, with unveiled eyes, we look to him. We just have our eyes dialed in on him. Yeah. And when we do that, this transformation, it's a work he does in the mystery of just being caught up in how freaking awesome he is. So yep. transformation, according to second, second Corinthians three eighteen, is actually it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's happening in the kitchen, dude. And you're not allowed in. It's not your work. Yep. You're a guest at the table and you're trying to get up and walk into the kitchen and grab a freaking knife. And be a sous chef in this whole deal, dude. <laughs> that, yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah. Like, just sit down and eat and receive. Know God as a giver of gifts, right? Trust mm. him in his goodness. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on the good things that he gives and just receive. Dude, transformation is a mystery. Sanctification is a mystery. And dude, I, I love that there's so much evidence in the scriptures that we even take the good things that he gives, we can celebrate in them. And dude, actually, he's to be found in the negative things and the bad things and the struggles too. Mm -hmm. We're so wanting, like, like we imagine the way we imagine right now, like transformation. It's like, well, all right, Paul, let's talk about this thorn in the flesh. What's your plan to get rid of that? What are some steps you can take to get rid of this thorn? Oh, can I help I can, you? Can I help you with this? Actually, we have, small group we have a new group curriculum on that one. We have a new program set up for uh, uh, thorns in flesh removal. Uh, yep. Six weeks, uh, you get paired with a community. You have a guide that helps you through that. A series yep. of questions, right? And it's like, dude, man, like we don't yep. we don't realize that it's even in the struggling, even in the frustrating things, the things that we would count as non transformation. He's actually using to bring about this really good work that he's doing in us. But dude, as soon as you start to enter the kitchen, bro, as soon as you start to get up from the table and see yourself as something other than a guest, dude, you're going to just jack it all up. Yeah. Once you, once you write the curriculum, man, and start the thorn free class, it, it just gets, it just gets, gets jacked, dude. <laughs> start thorn selling t-shirts dude i've you been know. thorn free for three months dude <laughs> thorn free <laughs> and you have again a, a god who's like nope you're already whole you're already loved you're already home you're already free you're already one with me okay because of the work of my son and yes there, there is something you're struggling with right now and that's okay my grace is sufficient i'm present with you let's continue to walk together the journey in front of you is a journey of faith, not sight. Okay, it's a journey of trusting, not trying. Um, and in my good time and pleasure, I'll continue to work and move. But I think the the thing that we could cling to in light of what you're saying, man, is that uh, when you're no longer obsessed and in the, in the, in the involved in this inner dialogue or even the outward dialogue with all you know the circles around you, 
about how you're doing. Okay. That's the evidence that you're actually doing better. Yep. When you're no longer obsessed and talking about transformation is the evidence. I feel like that you're being transformed into really learning what it means to live mm -hmm. by faith in Jesus. And, you know, just think about like, like that through, a, through the lens of like a gift, you know, just to throw this out, Jameson just, you know, on our team, just put out a blog post, uh, give God nothing that just came out this week. Give God nothing is the name of it. I was like, row, row, uh, you know, went diving into a man. I'm, it's pretty stoked. I just got to read this really quick. He says, while the whole world judges one another based on our devotion to people and causes, Jesus judges us based on his devotion to us. While the world divides over who and what we've devoted to, I'm sorry, we're devoted to, Jesus is delighted in his devotion to us. We may have innocently concluded that we ought to love Jesus because of how he loved us, but we would do well to press further in. You see, a life, of, a life lived and motivated by shoulds and oughts is no life of freedom. Exactly how is believing that you owe your life to God since he gave Jesus anything other than a rejection of the perfect gift he's given you? In my understanding, a debt that has been paid is no longer due. A true gift is not presented with the expectation of reciprocation. The gift is free or it is no gift at all. Mm -hmm. We've been given the gift of Jesus himself. He is our life. We already are whole. What mm -hmm. we're learning to do is to live into that reality. So if, you, if you're a transformation or if you're from the church world and you use that word sanctification, then just know that sanctification, transformation, change, is the art of getting used to your salvation. It is the art of getting used to the fact that you're already home. You're free to stop trying to get back here in the kitchen and just enjoy the party at the table. Yep. And I, I would just say this, man, John 15 is probably, which I know we wrote about in Reclaim. I think it's in what chapter, chapter five, where we talk about a, uh, just how Jesus describes sort of like the relationship between God, the father himself and us throughout this life and refers to the father as like the gardener of this world. Mm -hmm. And he refers to the vine that's producing all of life within this world as the son, Jesus. And then he refers to us as branches, branches. Okay. Branches who have been brought to life, made, produced right from day one in and through the vine cared for by the gardener and never once did he tell us to be the gardener or that we could or should same with the vine you know and i think just not confusing that is really 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 important um for all of us man like in this journey that we're on it's uh when you when you realize that fruit change you could say okay evidence of change fruit. That's, it's not our department. It's someone else's. It's something that comes by way of the vine. Branches don't produce fruit, right? Branches bear fruit, right? There's something else that's at work, by which case the fruit comes out of a branch. That's mm -hmm. not of the branch. 
right? And I think we just have to keep going back to that understanding, to that reality that Jesus himself has declared about the world, about God, about the son, about us, about change and how it happens. It's a, it's a work of something of someone else even goes so far as the saying like, and if we're not bearing fruit, then the father's this kind gardener who's going along and literally lifting up the vines that are on the ground. Cause that's how they grew it back then. But you did a great job, by the way, of unpacking that and reclaim the father comes along this gardener and he lifts these vines up off the ground so that they can get the right nourishment, the right, the right, you know, air and water and all that, that can, that can begin to bring about what it is that he's doing. But 100% of this, dude, not 90, not even 99, 100% of this is done in and through him. Yeah. It's a work of the vine under the care of the gardener. So how does transformation happen? Well, from what I can tell, it's just something that the Lord does in and through us. He does it without us. He does it in spite of us, but he definitely does it, all of it, um, in and through our lives as we just learn to walk by faith. Okay. In him. Yeah. Don't and think I love the transformation that he, is the point. It's not, it's just something he does along the way for. Yeah. And, what, and what's crazy is like the old Adam um, that just will not die. Take, like, let's take both of your scenarios there because you, you just got done unpacking a lot um, about you went, you know, back to gifts. The old Adam will say, well, let's get real serious about making sure we appreciate this gift. Yeah. And let's, let's let this gift giver know that it's not lost on us. And we're going to, we're going to work really, really hard to make sure, right. That this thing is not, is not wasted. So then, so that's where, okay. That old Adam shows up. The old Adam shows up in John 15, where we say, oh, well, look at this word abide. It says yep. this all happens as we abide. And then we start to attach a, a bunch of doing to abide, just like we attach doing and an obsession of looking inward to the word faith. And I like to just point out in John 15, because dude, we'll, we'll do whole like series and small groups and books and preaching series on the word abide. And we're getting into spiritual formation and disciplines and, you know, all this other stuff. I think the, um, the, the, the church where I used to pastor at is right in the middle of a series called habits of grace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, dude, it's so hilarious. Like, um, the do we have grace. anybody who knows anything about word placements and meanings involved in this? Just so hilarious. Um, but anyways, I don't want to get into that, but We'll, we'll do this whole thing around abide about all the stuff that we need to do to abide, right. And put ourselves in the yeah. presence of God in order to make this fruit happen. And I really like to, I always like to point out in John 15. Yeah. You see how it says um, abide in me. Mm. He also says right after that, abide in me as I abide in you. Row, row. Like, like is Jesus sitting around like trusting us? Is he waking up like, you know, having morning coffee around thoughts of us? Yeah. Is he running after work to go be a part of a small group where the conversation is about us? You know what I'm saying? So like, once you start attaching all this doing, yeah, all this 
which can very subtly become earning and obsessing over and making yep. this whole process of fruit bearing happen and getting it going yourself. Um, once you start attaching that to that word, you immediately get in trouble by saying, Oh, he's doing that with us. It's like, Oh crap. Yeah. You undo oh, it. Shoot. You literally undo what he's saying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I just means union. It means I'm in him and he's in me. It right. speaks to the permanence of the union, the relationship, the reality that I'm safely, securely, and confidently hidden in him. I'm in him. He's in me. Yeah. The way we describe it is like, there's this vine in the garden and he's running around looking for independent branches that are laying around and he's going up to him and he's saying, Hey, why don't you abide in me as I abide in you? When you say that out loud, you go, well, that, I mean, that's just silly. That doesn't make any sense. Vines aren't walking around looking for branches, branches, like they exist in a vine. Yeah, I know. But the way we portray it is like, it's either the vines going around looking for us, trying to figure out how he can abide in us or more importantly, uh, or I should say more prominently is us running around with this idea in our minds of like, we're all these independent branches in the garden and we're looking for the vine and going, Hey, tell me how I can abide in you. And then we like kind of go and find some way of like working ourselves to abide in this, in this vine. But yeah. branches don't do that because branches don't exist in and of themselves. If they do, they're dead. And dead things don't walk around looking for ways of doing something. So the idea that spiritual disciplines are how, how I abide in him <laughs> and then equating that. Oh, and also that's also how he abides in me. Like he's running around doing spiritual disciplines to abide in us. It's like, no, this is just totally silly. Stop. But it Stop. just goes that to show what you abide like, means. We, like we, we just cannot, we cannot deal or accept the announcement that it's finished. Yeah. Give me anything but indiscriminate grace, right? Lord, give me a list. Give me a, a map. Give me a guide that'll help. Like, just give me something so that I can always be able to point to, like, I got, I got a leg in this. I'm playing my part. Here's how I'm doing. Give me anything but the announcement. Hey, you're already one with me. And the gardener's in control. You're free to let go and enjoy the party. I'm right? putting a period on it right there, dude. Till next time. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers.